There was a guy in 2017 who went to a garage sale and, you know, garage sale. You guys been to a garage sale before? Yeah? Um, they're kind of like going out of style now. It's all Facebook Marketplace now. But garage sale, the old school where you drive around. And he goes around to this person's garage sale looking at these different things that he wants. And he sees in the corner this like old dungy little, little painting. And he's like, okay, I guess that's a, that's a cool little painting. So I guess I'll go buy this painting. So he, I'm assuming, negotiates the price with the person. And he ends up buying this old painting for 30 bucks. It's like, okay, a little painting for 30 bucks. Um, probably worth it, in my estimation, a little overpriced for a painting, but I guess nice bigger paintings. But it was a small painting, so I paid 30 bucks. It's like, okay, cool. I got this painting. Yes. He was excited. He went home. He hung it up. It's like, cool, I've got this $30 painting. For the next couple years, he doesn't think much of it. And I think this guy also worked at a bookstore. And so as he's at this bookstore, two years later in 2019, a guy comes into the bookstore who happens to be an art collector. And the guy says, oh, I, I bought a painting a couple years ago. I'd love for, to have you take a look at it. And so the guy comes back another time to his house, and he uh, takes a look at this painting, and he says, whoa, I think this painting is an original painting by this guy named Albrecht Durer. <laughs> I don't know. I even looked up how to say it, and it was like, it was like the YouTube video. I was like, Albrecht Durer. Like, I'm not even going to try. I'll Americanize it. Albrecht Durer. It's this guy. It's like, man, I think this is an original painting by this guy. And the guy's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And the, they take an estimated for how much this painting is now worth, because it's an authentic painting by this famous painter. And they estimate it to be about $50 million. $50 million. So this guy who buys a painting for 30 bucks, thinks, oh, yeah, that looks like a $30 worth painting. And think about the chap who sold it. It's like, oh, here, you want to buy this painting? Oh, I think it's worth about like 30 bucks. And the guy who sold it for 30 bucks, in his mind, it's like, oh, just some old painting. Who cares? Yeah, 30 bucks. But to this art collector who saw it, he recognized how valuable it was. And luckily for the guy who didn't know, realized pretty quickly, man, okay, if I sell it again, I'm not going to sell it for 30, 40 bucks. It's worth $50 million. So the same painting for the guy who sold it, who saw it to be worth 30 bucks, another guy sees it to actually be worth what it's really valued, $50 million. And I'm sure shortly after, the guy who sold it had a rude awakening and was like, wow, okay, I really didn't value this painting as I should have. I could have got so much more money than just 30 bucks if I just would have rightly valued this painting at what it was worth. Something that a lot of us don't rightly value, and the world definitely doesn't value, is God's word. I think a lot of us look at God's word, and we treat it the same as the first guy that sold the painting for 30 bucks. We look at the Bible and say, oh, it's just some old, dungy book, and who cares about it? It's not really, oh yeah, you want my Bible? Here, take it from me. But we don't see the immense value that it has, way more valuable than something worth $50 million. The Bible's way more of extreme value. But the world is going to say, oh, it's just some um, old book. Oh, yeah, it was written about, oh, yeah, in, in uh, Exodus about the Israelites that were enslaved and freed. Like, why does that matter to us today? It's just some old book. Why does it really have any significance? Well, in Hebrews chapter 4, I want you to turn there, Hebrews chapter 4, we see the answer for why this book is of extreme value. Is it really just some old book? You're going to hear that all the time. Oh, yeah, it was written by a bunch of people that died. Who cares about it? You read these books in, in English class all the time about these people. Guess what? They're dead. 
So, okay, it's a cool story, but like it doesn't really mean anything really to you because it's by these people who have died. Why is the Bible any different? Why is the Bible really of any value? It's by some people that died. Does it even matter? Hebrews 4.12 gives us the answer for why it is valuable today, why it is not just some old dungy book that we should leave on our shelves. Hebrews 4 gives us the answer starting in verse 12. It says this, it says, For the word of God is living and active. The word of God here can mean a couple different things. Some people take this phrase, word of God, and I know the first thing that comes in your mind is the Bible, but that's, always, that's not the first thing that would come to mind um, in people in church history. In church history, a lot of people would look at this phrase, word of God, and they thought that it meant Jesus. Because elsewhere in scripture, word of God is a reference to Jesus. For example, if you looked at Revelation 19.13, it talks about the word of God in there, and it's referring specifically to Jesus. And in the book of Hebrews specifically, it talks about how Jesus is better than all these other things, better than Moses, better than other prophets, how Jesus is of greater significance. And so throughout church history, a lot of theologians will look at this passage and say, okay, the word of God is talking about Jesus. Oh yeah, it's living and active. Yeah, Jesus is alive and he's active. He's no longer dead. Well, while we look at this passage and today, I'm going to say that it's referring to the Bible and many scholars today think that it's referring to the Bible. It's like, why can we say the word of God here is referring to the written word as opposed to Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh? Why would we say the word of God here is referring to the Bible? Well, as opposed to Revelation 19.13, The phrase word of God is found over 39 times in the New Testament. And that phrase, the word of God, is most of the time in the New Testament is referring to the written word, the scripture that we have. And so that's why we look at passages such as this and say, okay, we think this isn't just talking about Jesus specifically, although the Bible does speak of Jesus. And so by saying that the word is talking about Jesus, well, how do we learn about Jesus? It is the Bible. It is almost a little bit connection there, but we think more specifically, it's talking about the written word, the Bible, the scripture, the book that you have there in your lap. Gives us a scripture. The word of God is living and active. Okay. Living. It's not this book that is dead. Well, how do we know that the Bible is living? Well, last week we talked about how the Bible is from God. It's not just some opinion that man decided to write down that is actually the words of God written down for us. And just as God is alive, so too his words are alive and last. His words are living. Next thing, living and active. Active, meaning the word of God has an effect on those who read it. It is active, not just passive, but it creates an effect. In further describing the word of God, it says this, look down, Hebrews 4.12 says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay, so it describes the Bible here like a sword, a sword that cuts, a sword that divides. It says, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Describes the Bible here, word of God, to a sword, something that cuts within us, something that goes deeper than joints and marrow, something that exposes who we really are. That's what it's talking about when it says the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible shows us who we really are. We could ask, act like, oh, look at me. Oh, I'm doing this good thing. But inwardly, our thoughts and our intentions could be completely different than what's going on on the outside. What well, says, hey, guess what? The Bible cuts. The Bible shows us what's really going on in our hearts. Passages such as like Jeremiah 79, where it says our, our hearts are uh, desperately sick. 
Who can understand it? It's like the thing that's going on inside of us, guess what? The Bible knows what's going on inside of us. It exposes that. Well, who's it exposed it to? Verse 13 says, no creature is hidden from his sight. Whose sight? From the sight of God. No one can hide from him. But guess what? All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Say, hey, the Bible not only has an effect and it's alive and it's active, not only does it expose and show us who we really are, but also it exposes us to God, the one who we're going to have to give an account to. One day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be naked and exposed before him. And he's going to see everything that happened in our lives, every thought that we had, every desire, the one that we either acted upon or we didn't act upon, every feeling that we had. It's going to be shown and exposed to God, naked and exposed. The idea here of the word exposed is almost like, think of an animal. It's going to be a little graphic here. I know we're just starting. We're an animal Imagine who's about to be led to the slaughter to, we know a cow is about to become hamburgers. So a cow about to be led to the slaughter. Imagine its neck being exposed and about to be sliced, turned into a hamburger. That's the idea of the, the neck being open and revealed. The idea of, man, that cow is ex- exposed right now. It's vulnerable. That's what it's going to be like us standing before the Lord. Our whole life is going to be exposed before him, going to be revealed We need to listen to the word of God and pay attention to God's word because it's not just some old book, but Hebrews 4.12 says that it is the forever standard by which we're going to be judged. We're going to be held accountable and the record books are going to be open. It's going to say, how well did you do what scripture commanded us to do? Did you live up to the standard that the Bible outlined for us? Because it's the standard of which we're going to be judged, we would do well to pay attention to it. We need to rightly understand and rightly Pay attention to scripture, the standard by which we will be judged. But starting there in the first section of this passage, living and active, it shows that this book isn't some old book that does, is irrelevant for us today. It's just as irrelevant the Bible is today as it was when it was written. It is timeless. First point I want you guys to write down is to recognize the timeless power of God's word. Recognize the timeless power of God's word. It's effective. It is powerful, living, and active. So if it brings about an effect because the word of God is powerful, powerful when it was written, powerful today. Think about those passages in the Old Testament. Think about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Yeah, they were impactful and relevant when Moses wrote them down, and they were helpful for the people in the Old Testament. Now, for us today, does it have any relevance today? Well, God's word would say, yeah, it has just as much power and just as much effect today as it did thousands of years ago. The Bible is not just some fad that was really important for a little period of time and died out. Speaking of fads, you you know what a fad is, right? Something that for a very short period of time, people were super excited about, people were stoked about. And then like 10 years later, or not even 10 years later, sometimes like a year later, no one cares about it anymore. It's like, remember the fidget spinner? The fidget spinner? Yeah. A lot of you guys collected fidget spinners, and you'd bring them to church, and they'd become so much of a fad that we even, like, made Compass Bible Church fidget spinners. Did anyone get a Compass Bible Church fidget spinner? Yeah? Do some of you guys still have your fidget spinners? All right. Well, for a period, you were like, the fidget spinner was, like, so cool. So much so, did you know that there was a, t- a revival team 
that was called the Blue Fidget Spinners. I do not make that up. There is a, a revival team called the Fidget Spinner team. Um, they did not win. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> you could, you could ju- judge by the name. But everyone was super excited about these fidget spinner things. It's like, oh, it's so cool. And then you'd like be sitting in class and you'd just be going like this. And then your teachers were like, oh, no, you got to like keep them away. And it was so cool. And then guess what? A year later, you like threw them all away. Or in the case of a couple of you guys here in the front, they're probably in some box that in 10 years, you're going to look back and say, why do I still have this? I should throw it away. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Another fad that happened was, remember the rainbow loom? Me girl specifically, remember the rainbow loom? Some of you guys are like, I still play with that. Um, it's the rainbow loom. You remember you do like rainbow loom bracelets? Yeah? The rubber bands. And you would watch like the YouTube videos. It's like, welcome to my rainbow loom channel. Today we're going to show you how to make the gecko rainbow loom bracelet. And you're like, okay, here we go. I've got my different colors and the whites and the greens. going to make this gecko. So cool. And I... I who, one of you guys asked for the rain balloon for Christmas or for your birthday? Come on. Any honest people? Okay, a couple people. Wow, Juan. Juan's like, yeah, I had a rain balloon. It was cool. I remember I made bracelets back in the day with the rain balloon. And it was super exciting. Guess what? Now if someone got you a rain balloon for your birthday, you'd be like, what? Maybe you'd be like nostalgic, like, oh, wow, I remember when we used to do that. That was cool. But guess what? No one cares anymore. Like, we're, we're over this. One fad that maybe you're a little too young to remember, but definitely the leaders in the room are going to remember, back when planking was a thing. You guys remember planking? Planking. How many of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about? Planking. Wow, no idea. What there was a fad, kind of like TikTok challenges today, where you would go to just random locations and you would just lay on the ground like this. And so like, say you were like going through the drive-thru, there would be like someone who would, you know, the, like the talk box that you talk through? To, to like take the order, someone would go and like lay across the top of it just because like, oh, look, I'm planking, guys, ha, ha, ha. And like people would take clips of like where they're planking or it's like, oh, there's someone planking on the roof like of their house. Oh, take a, a video of that. Look at that. That's so cool. Yeah, the fun things that we would do back in the days, planking. It's like so, so much of a trend that if you go back in the old Compass video archives, I believe there is a video where there's different people from here at the church and pastors from the church planking at different places. That's how much it caught on guard. But guess what? If you walked out of the narrow and you walked out there and you just saw me laying flat on the ping pong table, you'd be like, what is up with Nathan? Um, I'm just like, and you like couldn't say anything either. If someone was talking to you, you were just like, it's like, what is happening? It's like, we need to find a new director. He's lost his mind. Send him to the, send him to the mental hospital. It'd be like, these things that for a period of time were like, well, th- like everyone was doing it. Everyone was all about it. Guess what? They died out over time. The Bible is not in that same category as a fad. The Bible is just as relevant thousands of years ago when it was penned to as it is today. Well, how do we know that? Well, did you know that the Bible is the best-selling book this year? Best-selling book this year. Guess what? The Bible was the best-selling book last year and the year before that because the Bible is the best-selling book every single year. There is more than half a billion dollars spent every year just in purchasing Bibles. Think about that. Half a billion dollars. More than five billion copies of the Bible have been bought over time. Uh, that was just a stat that I found on the, on a, I mean, it was by, I think, a trusted 
source, but like there's only so far back they could go. So it's kind of an estimation. There's not someone keeping track and counting all, but over 5 billion copies of the Bible. That's a ton. And some people like don't even include it in the top selling books anymore just because it would always be at the top and people don't like it. So it's like, okay, the Bible doesn't count. Oh yeah, all the churches are buying a bunch of Bibles. So that doesn't count. It's like, what? Why does that not, why does that not count? It counts. Um, every single year, Bible's the best selling book. Why? It's because the Bible is not dead. The Bible is living and active. The Bible is alive. God is alive, so his word is alive. The Bible brings about effect. So too, it, we see that the Bible is alive because it brings about life in those who read it. What kind of power, what kind of effect, what kind of life does the Bible bring? First type of life that it brings is in giving salvation to the unbeliever. In taking someone who was dead in their sins to now being alive in Christ. That's the power of God's word. The gospel that's written in God's word brings about life, bringing people from dead to life. Remember the parable of the, the sower? You guys remember that parable? Matthew chapter 13, where the seed, which is characteristic of the gospel or the word of God, that's going out and being tossed around on all these different soils. And on the fourth soil, I'm sure you remember this, it says, other seeds fell on the good soil. And guess what was produced? was produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Guess what? If you take a seed and you put it in good soil, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. That's what's going to happen. You give it a little bit of water, guess what? Boom, it's naturally going to grow. Good seed on good soil brings out good growth. Well, guess what? God's word, which is like seed, is a living organism that when spread and planted in the right soil, produces abundant life. When the gospel, the good news that is found in God's word, comes upon the heart of someone who is receptive to it, someone who's open to the word of God and says, wow, I understand what God's word is saying and responds rightly to it, guess what happens? That person is transformed from dead in their sins to alive in Christ. And that power of salvation not only happens a thousand years ago, not only happens 1,500 years ago, it happens today as well. Someone being saved is the same today, years ago, years before that, years before that. It's the same power of God's word in saving people. God's word is living, it's active, it saves sinners. Not only is that the life-giving effect in saving people, but the power of God's word is also seen in sanctifying sinners, in bringing growth in the life of a Christian. That is timeless as well. Is the Bible effective in taking a Christian and causing them to be more like Christ? Is that only effective back when the Bible was written? No. It's like that's applicable today as well. It's always applicable in Christians being sanctified by looking to God's word and saying, what does the Bible want me to do? One passage that talks about this, 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about some of the timeless power of God's word. And it's not just for one certain era, not just for one certain period, but this timeless power that the gospel, the good news that's written in God's word has. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. We're going to read a little section. It says, Since you have been born again. So talking here to believers, those who are right with God, they've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. We just talked about the seed. The seed, what, what, what's the seed? What's the seed? God's word. It just says that. 
through the living and abiding word of God. It's not the seed that's imperishable, or that is perishable, sorry, but rather imperishable, lasts forever. The living and abiding word of God, it brings life, been born again because of it. Verse 24 says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's like, maybe you're singing that song in your head. All men are like grass, but the glory is like the It's like, you know, you know the song? That now it's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the service. But the word of the Lord. Yeah, yeah it's like, hey guys, that song's stuck in your head. It's like, okay, we sung it before, but what is that verse talking about? It says all flesh, mankind is like grass. Guess what? It dies quickly. You, it's like you've got green grass in your backyard. And you like don't water it for one day. Guess what? It's like dead. And then the next day it's like dirt. It's like, wow, that was really fast. It goes so quick. Guess what? Our flesh, our bodies decay and they die quickly. Our lives are very short. And the glory, like the flower of the grass, don't, doesn't last very long. The grass withers, it dies, the flowers fall, they die. But guess what? Verse 25, the word of the Lord remains, or in the song, stands forever. It lasts forever. God's word doesn't need to be changed over time. God's word doesn't die and is ineffective in 10 years. It doesn't become outdated lasts forever, brings about salvation. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, the gospel that you heard, talking here to Christians that responded rightly to the good news. Goes on, it says, so because of this, because of the good news that was preached to you, put away all malice, idea of wickedness, all evil things that you're putting, be done with it. Put away all, all deceit, if you're being hypocritical, next one, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These things, hey, you need to put off. You need to stop doing those things. Well, how would we know what God wants us to stop doing without God's word? Well, we've got, we've got our conscience. We talked about that last. It gives us some general guidelines through general revelation, but it's hard to know specifically what God wants if we didn't have his word. God's word is powerful to not only save people, but to show us how we are to grow in sanctification, what sins he wants us to stop doing, what things and thoughts and emotions he says not to do anymore, rather what he wants us to do. Verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 2 says, hey, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. It's like, hey, you know how infants really crave and desire milk? If they don't have milk, they... And you start crying. It's like, be quiet. Um, be quiet. Um, or maybe it's got to go to the bathroom, but let's focus more on the, the hunger side. It's like, once the milk, it starts crying because it needs the milk. Just like an infant longs for milk, we also need to long for the pure spiritual milk, which is here talking about scripture, God's word, that by it, you may grow up into salvation. We should long for God's word. We should crave God's word, just like an infant craves for milk. When I think of craving or just how an infant craves for milk, it makes me think of how some of you guys craved for In-N-Out at the park hangout. And it's this weird thing. Yeah, maybe you're craving some In-N-Out right now. It's like, that's where we should go after church. Like every day, let's go to In-N-Out, right? Um, huddle, at, huddle at In-N-Out. Let's do that. And when we get to these park hangouts and we're walking over to In-N-Out, it's funny seeing how we've got this line formed behind me and 
Like you guys are all vying for position. <laughs> it's like you're trying to jump in front of it. It's like, I want something in and out. I'm hungry. And then something happens where we become like, like, oh, it's right there. And all of a sudden, people start walking faster. It's like, okay, we're walking a little faster. Then some of you guys start running. And all of a sudden, you, like a whole swarm, I feel bad for the employees, there's like 50 kids just running to in and out And they're like, we're running in there. It's like, we're all going to get food. But for some reason, and within all of us, it's like, I want the in and out. I don't need, ah, let's run. It's like, like, why are we running? (laughs) It's because you have this craving. You have this desire for in and out. It's like, we need to get the food. Like, well, we're all going to get food. No, I need it now. It's like, you're going to get it. No, I need to be the front of the line. It's this craving, this desire that you have for in and out. Could you say that that craving that you have for in and out is on par with the craving that you have to read God's word. Would you say it's the same? Would you say, oh yeah, just like I crave in and out, and I'm craving in and out right now, that I could say every day when I wake up in the morning, I just cannot wait to be in God's word. Would you be able to say that? I think for a lot of us, we wouldn't be able to say that. That, oh yeah, I really desire and I really we love in and out but hey, if I miss reading my Bible today, that's okay. That's fine. Oh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's kind of busy. I'm good. It's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? If we really crave God's word, we should be in it as much as we can. We should treat God's word like food where we can't go, I mean, a day without it. Some of you guys, like <laughs> an hour without food. It's like, oh, I need some food. It's like we eat three times a day. Some of you guys, like four some of you guys in high school will be like six, seven times a day. Like, or some of you guys are just snacking all day, just eating snacks, eating snacks. It's like, oh, I always got to be eating something. I remember in high school, I would always be like snacking on stuff. It's like, well, do we have that same attitude with God's word? Oh, I just always got to be, oh, man, I've got some free time. What should I do? I should read the Bible. Oh, man, I should study this book. I should memorize this passage. Or do we say, eh, I don't really care about it. Verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 2 says we should desire, we should long for the pure spiritual milk, which is God's word. Verse 3 says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The reason why you crave in and out is because you've had it before. And you know that sensation of when you're eating that double-double or those animal-style fries, you just feel it on the tip of your tongue and it's like, mmm, yes, so good. Sorry to make you hungry. I know it's right before lunch. It's kind of mean. But you know that feeling, right? Man, you've got that feeling right now a little bit. Can we have that same feeling, that same craving for God's word, that same desire? And it's, you know, it's because we've had it before. Same thing should happen with God's word. Have you ever read a passage in the Bible before? And you're like, wow, I feel like this passage that I just happened to be reading today, it was part of the DBR that I was reading. It feels like it's talking exactly about something that I'm going through right now like exactly what I'm going through. It's like, oh man, I was really unsure about what to do in this situation. And guess what? I happened to be listening to a sermon and it was speaking specifically like they were talking to me. You had that situation before. I've had that numerous times. It's like that feeling of we've seen the effect of God's words. Like, man, it's like it's speaking directly to me. It's living, it's active. If we've had that experience, we should continue to long for God's word because it's continuing to have that effect in our life. Timeless power of God's word is in saving people, in sanctifying people. But I think it's also important for us when we think about how we should treat God's word 
is to realize how did Jesus treat the Bible? Jesus, God becoming flesh, how did he treat the Old Testament? Was it like, oh, I'm God. And so, yeah, those prophets that wrote the Old Testament, well, they're not God. So who cares about the Old Testament? Here, just listen to my words. Forget the Old Testament. There's a huge movement today about let's forget the Old Testament and let's only focus on the New Testament. Well, what did Jesus do? Did he say forget the Old Testament? Because here, listen only to my words. Well, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Say, hey, I didn't come here to get rid of the Old Testament. I'm not here to say, oh, it's just some old, Old Testament. Forget that. No, he says, I came to fulfill it. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Say, hey, everything that's written in the Old Testament, every single word is true. Everything that's prophesied about what's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. I think that shows that Jesus really valued the Old Testament. Every single word, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So that Jesus really valued every single word. He valued everything in the Old Testament. He didn't say, oh, forget about the Old Testament. We should value the Old Testament, the New Testament as well. Maybe when you do your DBR, you really lean heavy towards the New Testament. And I know it's really easy temptation because maybe we're going through like a list of genealogies and it's like, cool, I begot this and he begot this and he begot this. It's like, oh, cool, whatever. And in the Old Testament, we have like, oh, okay, I'll read the Old Testament, but the real focus is gonna be the New Testament. It says, hey, we should value both. We should value Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus valued the Old Testament, every single word. So should we. We should value it greatly, every single word. Do you value God's word? Do you treat it as valuable? Maybe in your mind you're thinking, no. We need to value it rightly. Maybe in your mind think, you're thinking, well, yeah, I do value God's word. If you want to figure out in your mind whether you value God's word, Ask yourself, how do you treat the Bible? How often do you read the Bible? How do you treat sermons that are about the Bible? How do you treat your small group time when you're talking about the Bible? Do you value it? Do you take it seriously? Or do you say, ah, oh, who, who, who cares? It's not that important. We need to rightly value God's word. And by asking those questions, how do you treat the Bible? How do you treat sermons? How do you treat small groups? It's going to show us how we really view the Bible, whether it's important to us or not. So the power of God's word, saving people, sanctifying people. Talks back in Hebrews 4, you can turn back there, Hebrews 4.12, where it compares it to this double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Saying, hey, the Bible cuts deep. Bible goes deep and exposes to us the, the realities of who we are. It shows us what's going on inside of us. And because of it, because it reveals our heart and can grow us in so many ways, we need to regularly go to God's word. Point number two you need to regularly examine your life with Scripture. You need to do that often. Going to God's Word and saying, okay, here's my life. 
Here's God's word, the standard that which we're going to be judged by. How does my life, does it match what the Bible wants me to do? Does it live up to that? We should regularly check ourselves on that. Examine our life. The idea of examination probably brings the imagery of a, of a doctor to mind. Examination. Or even specifically as we're talking about like a, a sword or piercing or cutting deep within us. It brings these images of a doctor to mind. It's like imagine if a doctor said, oh man, there seems to be something wrong with, I don't know, something in your stomach and we need to see what's going on. Well, what a doctor, if they really wanted to know what's going on or they wanted to fix a problem, what they could do is pull out a scalpel, pull out this knife and say, all right, lay down here on the table. All right, you know, here we go. We, we need to see what's going on in here. What we're gonna do is cut you open. Okay, oh, let's... Let's open this up a little bit. Okay, maybe if you really want to see what's going on, okay, let's put my hand in there. Let's see what's going on as the blood's pouring out a little bit. And obviously you're, you're under, so you're not like, if you're on the pain, you're not like, whoa, what's, look at me. Um, that'd be really crazy. Um, although, I'd, yeah, that would be really crazy. But the idea of inv- the invasiveness of, wow, it really cuts deep. If the doctor really wanted to go know what's going on, it would search inside of you. Well, God, very much like a doctor, uses his word like a doctor uses a scalpel or a knife to expose the, real, the reality of our thoughts and our desires, really what's going on on the inside. Because we can act like things are really good on the outside when inside of us, in our thoughts and in our heart, things aren't going well. Guess what? God's word exposes that to us. It shows that By being in God's word, it will expose to us things that we need to grow in, things that are outside of us and things that are within us as well. We should examine our life regularly. That's why I worded it like that, the second point, regularly examine your life. Because imagine if you said, okay, I'm supposed to go to the doctor every year, but I don't feel like going this year. Okay, I'll miss it this year, and then I'll miss it next year. And then imagine for like 25 years, you just like never go to the doctor And then in like 25, 30 years, you go to the doctor and you're like, man, I'm not feeling well. What if the doctor in that situation said, oh man, there's something wrong. There's something very wrong. You've got this very serious illness. And unfortunately, because it has been 25 years, we could have caught this like 20 years ago. But guess what? Because you never came in and you never regularly got this examination, guess what? It's now turned into this really big problem so too can sin fester and grow in our hearts and our lives if we don't regularly go to God's word. It can grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's this great sin that, guess what? If you were just reading God's word every day, you would have caught it years ago. You would have not had that attitude that you you shouldn't have had. You would have not said those harmful words that you shouldn't have said. You would have not been disrespectful to your parents like you were way down the road if we just regularly were in God's word examining ourselves. We examine it regularly. One prayer that should be the prayer of us every time we go to God's word is written in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And you should pray this every time you read the Bible. Before you read the Bible, you should pray to God, and this should be the the focus of your prayer. Psalm 139, 23 says, search me, O God. Hey, God, look, look, check, check what's going on. Search me, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Say, hey, God, expose what's really going on inside. Show me if there's any wickedness happening in my heart, in my mind, my actions. Show that to me so guess what? I can stop doing that and you can lead me in the way everlasting, the way that you want me to live. Expose that to me. That should be our prayer to God when we go to God's word, before a sermon, before small groups, before we read the Bible. God, show the wickedness in my heart so then I can do what you want me to do. We need to examine our life regularly. There's a couple categories of things that we should examine. If you're like, okay, what should I examine in my life? What things that the Bible might point out that I need to correct? First thing is our actions and our words. When we go to God's word, and we read it, we should look at it and compare it to our lives and say, okay, what actions am I doing that aren't lining up with Scripture? What words am I using that aren't lining up with Scripture that I need to correct? Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Every careless word. We're going to have to give an account before God. Well, we should be very careful about the words that we use about the words, the actions that we take. That's probably the first thing that comes to mind when we think of, okay, examining my life. Okay, what are the wrong actions that I'm doing? What are the wrong words that I'm doing? But we shouldn't not just look at the outward things that we do, but also look at what's going on within us. The next thing that we should examine, first, our actions and our words. Next, we should examine our thoughts. What's going on in our minds? What sinful thoughts are we having? We should look at our desires. What are the sinful inclinations of my heart? Those wrong things that within me I want to do. What are the feelings that I have? We don't think about that too often. Our emotions. Are my emotions godly or are they sinful? We need to look at the things within us, the things that another person can't say, hey, I know what's going on in your mind. I know what you're thinking. This is what you're thinking. You're like, that's not even close to what I was thinking. It's like, well, guess what? The Bible, by being in God's words, exposing, oh, the sinful thoughts that we're having that, oh, man, I need to stop doing that. I, I should not have that wrongful desire. Matthew 5, 19 says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These evil things come from our hearts, things within us that other people can't see. Think about our emotions for a second. Far too often we say, oh, well, that's how I'm feeling, so that's just what I'm doing. When it's like, well, is our emotions what the emotions that God wants us to have? It's like, well, I'm just angry. I'm just frustrated. That's just how I'm feeling. It's like, okay, I get that's how we're feeling, but is that how God wants us to feel? Well, if it's sinful anger, no, it's not. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just really worried right now. I'm just really anxious. That's just how I'm feeling, so God made me like this, so that must be what I should be feeling, is anxious. It's like, well, Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything. So I think the Bible would say, God would say, we shouldn't feel anxious. You see how we can have these emotions within us and how quick we are to say, well, that's just how I'm feeling, and we don't ever correct and say, well, is that how God wants me to feel? And we'll even like categorize it. It's like, I'm not anxious. I'm just like a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm not angry. I'm just like a, a little frustrated right now. <laughs> like I'm a little tense. 
It's like when we went up to winter camp and we talked about being thankful and how we should be thankful and not complaining. And then like we would complain after and then someone would call you out and be like, hey, we're not supposed to complain. And you'd be like, oh, I'm, I wasn't complaining. I was just like expressing like my disappointment. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't grumbling. I was just like saying that I didn't like it. <laughs> it's like we laugh because those are the exact things that we did. We said, oh, yeah, I'm not being complaining. And we put these caveats into it. Oh, I'm not anxious. I'm just uh, a little unsure about what's going to happen. <laughs> like, okay. Exactly. Same thing. But in our minds, we try to justify it to ourselves. Well, guess what? God's word exposed is not only our actions or words, but guess what? Our thoughts, our desires, our feelings. We need to make sure they line up with scripture, with what God wants us to do. Another thing to examine are our motives. The reasons for why we do the things that we do. You can do a lot of good things with really awful motives. And guess what? God does not care about that. God does not like that. When you do good things with wrong motives, you need to ask yourself with everything that you do, why am I doing this? 1 Corinthians verse 31, 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what should be the motive? Do it all to the glory of God. Everything that we do, we should say, well, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for God's glory or am I doing this for my own glory? We need to examine our hearts, figure out our motives. What's going on? Does it line up with what God wants me to do or not? Well, why should we do this? Why should we regularly examine our words, our actions, our motives, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our motives? It's because we're going to be held accountable to God one day. It's what Hebrews 4.13 says, that one day we're going to stand before the Lord, and guess what? No one is going to be hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, of him to whom we must give an account. We're going to be exposed and have to stand before the Lord and give an account for every word, every thought, every desire, the feelings, those emotions that we had. Now I want us to stand before the Lord and be proud and say, yeah, God, I, I, I lived a life lining up with Scripture. Point number three, we should live with God's judgment in mind. We should keep in mind that one way, hey, I'm going to be judged for this. That should really keep it, ourselves in check for everything that we do. Before you say something, say, oh, man, should I really say that? because I'm going to have to give an account for that. Oh man, should I really do that thing? I'm going to have to give an account for that. Recently, I went to my parents' house, and as I was visiting my parents, there were a couple cameras that they set up in their house. So cameras to like keep guard both inside and outside for when they're like gone and away, so that when they're gone, there's like, oh, can keep watch, see if anything's going on. Um, or they also recently got a ring doorbell too. It's like, do you guys have a ring? Like, just keep, just keep an eye on what's going on. And with these cameras, especially the ones that like are in the house, is like, I notice that when I'm over, like 
I'm not even necessarily doing anything wrong, but I'm just aware that like everything I'm doing is like being recorded right there. It's like, oh, that's, thankfully they turn them off like when people are there, just when they're gone. But it's like, oh man, even just by nature, there being a camera there, it's like, I know it's not on, but like, there's just the, okay, like don't do, don't do something dumb, Nathan, because they can go back and look at it. It's like, like, don't do that. Or last, yesterday, going out door to door evangelizing with the um, evangelism team and uh, we'll knock on people's doors and it seems like everyone's got a ring doorbell now, like, or some version of that where, and so we'll like knock on people's doors or ring on the doorbell and a lot of times they don't answer, but just by nature, it's like, okay, I know I'm being recorded right now and I'm like knocking on the door. I'm just standing there and I feel like I need to smile because <laughs> it's like, they're going to look back and see me there just like, hi. <laughs> it's like, I feel like I need to smile and like wave to the camera like, hello. It's like everything that I'm doing, I'm like second guessing and like, okay, be careful, Nathan, because everything's being recorded. It's like, imagine if someone followed you around every single day, like with a camera crew and was like recording your life. <laughs> I guess that's some famous people because they uh, have like their own TV show. But what if that person was like, all right, all right, Jacob Gomez, uh, we're going to follow this camera crew. It's going to be following your life all the way around. And guess what? We're going to attach this like contraption to your mind that you can't feel it but it's also going to record here on my iPad like every single thought that you have. It's like, oh yeah, Bryn, we're going to have a camera crew follow you around. It's, it's not only going to tell us your thoughts, it's going to tell us how you're feeling and the desires that you have and your motives. It's like, oh yeah, guys, you, oh yeah, Jacob, you, you said when you hit the guy with the Frisbee, you said you weren't intending to hit him. Well, actually, we, said, we see here that your motives were actually to hit him with the Frisbee. Exposed. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, oh, Bryn, you were saying really nice things about your friends. Well, guess what? The thoughts showed that you were not actually thinking nice things about your friends. Exposed. Revealed. It's like, whoa, that'd be intense. Everything being recorded. We could go back and watch the videotapes. It's like, all right, this week we're going to, Avery, let's see how your life was. We're going to put here and watch for 24, 48, 72. How many hours? Just watch... Avery's life. There's going to be a lot of sleeping because um, that's half of our lives is sleeping. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll skip by that. But guess what? We'll know the dreams that's happening. So we're going to see that, all that up there. All the thoughts. We're going to get some running commentary. It's like, whoa, that's kind of intimidating. That's kind of scary. Like if someone was to actually do that, be intense. Well, guess what? Kind of is happening. All of our lives are being recorded all of your thoughts and feelings and actions and words are being written down. In Revelation chapter 20, this is the judgment, the great white throne judgment for non-Christians. It says that these books are being opened at the end of the, the lives when these non-Christians stand before the Lord. A couple of books are open. One book is the book of the record of our lives. Everything that we did is exposed before God, revealed it's intimidating. The next book that's open is God's Word. Hey, how did your life match up with God's Word? The last book that's written is the book of life. And in Revelation 20, you'll hopefully can go back in your small group questions and look through that passage and read it and answer the questions this week because we don't have small groups on Wednesday. Remember that. But go through those questions still and think through that, hey, we're going to have to stand before the Lord and all of our works, all of our deeds are going to be exposed. Does that mean if I live a really good life that 
I'm going to get into heaven because, oh yeah, all my, all my deeds were good. No, it's not a matter of deeds earning our way into heaven, but guess what? Someone who has been changed by Christ, someone who has this heart transformation, guess what comes as a result of that heart change? It's a change in fruit. It's a change in the way that they live their lives. Yeah, does that mean they're perfect? Does that mean you're never going to tell a lie again? No, but guess what? The natural inclinations of our hearts are going to be different. We're going to say, oh man, oh yeah, I felt like doing this thing, but guess what? I know I shouldn't. And guess what? Because I am now one of God's children, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. You can live your entire life fooling your friends, fooling your parents, fooling your small group leaders to, to say, oh yeah, they think I'm the good Christian kid. They think, yeah, oh, I did my Flipgrids all this week. Ah, they're really going to think I'm, I'm a Christian. They're going to really think I'm a follower of God. Oh, yeah, I gave this good answer in small groups. I didn't really say what I was thinking, but I know that's what they want to hear. So I said those answers. Well, guess what? You can fool a lot of people. I was in junior high once, and I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was right with God. If you asked my friends at school, they would have said, oh, yeah, he's the good Christian kid. You could have asked my friends at church. They would have said, oh, yeah, that's a good Christian kid. I don't, you'd have to ask my parents, but they might have thought, oh, yeah, that kid was a Christian. But guess what? I knew inside of me I was not a Christian. It's not right with God. And guess what? If I stood before the Lord, God would say, hey, I know what's going on in your heart. There was even a period of my life where I was genuinely convinced I was a Christian when I wasn't. I would have said, yes, I am. But if you looked at what was going on inside, sinful motives. Oh, yeah, I would have, I would have been doing my flip grids just with you. I would have been answering small group questions like the good kid in the group. But what was going on in my heart? Wanting to get praise for myself. Wanting to get glory and the accommodation of other people. We're going to have to stand before the Lord, and really what's going on in our hearts is going to be exposed, whether we're right with God or not. Whether we lived a life that was pleasing to him or not. You can say, yeah, I believe in, in Jesus. That's the way for us to be saved. Turn from our sins and trust in Jesus. You can say, yeah, I trust in Jesus. Well, guess what? The genuineness of our trust, the genuineness of our belief, that's what it means by God knows what's going on inside. That's what he's gonna see when we stand before the Lord. Oh yeah, you say you trust me? Do you really mean that? What's going on in your heart? We're gonna stand before the Lord. Those are for the people that are not right with God. For the people that are right with God, the Christians, guess what? They still have to stand before the Lord and give an account. Are they going to have to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you? No, but they're still going to have to give an account for how they live their life as a Christian. It wasn't, hey, Christian, you did a lot of good things, so welcome into heaven. Hey, Christian, you did some bad things, so actually we're going to reject you from, from heaven. No, our way of getting into heaven is only through the work of Christ. But guess what? Heavenly rewards for the Christians are different in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Christians too are going to have to stand before the Lord and say, hey, how did, how did you obey the Great Commission? Hey, Christian, 
You're going to have to give an account to God. Say, hey, I sa- God said I saved you. How well did you live your life in obedience to what I called you to do? Did you just spend your life doing all these worthless things? Spending your time, wasting your time on video games, wasting your time on social media? Or do you spend your time saying, how can I live my life in accordance with what God wants me to do? How can I better share the truth of the gospel with other people? The Bible gives an analogy about how all of the deeds for the Christians that the Christians do are going to pass through this fire. And like materials passing through a fire, the deeds that we do that are worthless, that really are not significant, it compares them to wood, hay, and straw. And what happens when wood, hay, and straw pass through a fire? Burned up. They're gone. So all those things that the Christians do that were just a waste of time, that didn't matter in the long run, those are like the wood, hay, and straw that pass through the fire, and guess what? They're burned up. So the Christians that say, man, I, yeah, praise the Lord, he saved me, that's good, but guess what? I'm not going to have a ton of rewards in heaven because I didn't, I kind of wasted my life. I wasn't super faithful to do what God called me to do. But those Christians that were faithful to do what God wanted them to do, those were like the materials that it says like gold and silver and precious stones that pass through the fire. And guess what? Passing through fire, it only refines them all the more. Those are the rewards, different levels of rewards that Christians get in heaven. Yeah, is every Christian going to be excited that they get to go to heaven? Absolutely. But there's going to be a different level of rewards in heaven that are going to be received based off how you lived your life here on earth. We need to live out the word. We need to be all about God's word. We need to long for God's word, crave it, desire it. May we do that this week better than we have past weeks. One final thing. You ever had a situation where you texted a friend and they didn't text you back? Yeah? Yeah? They ghosted you. It's like, ah, that stinks. You know what makes it worse is if you're hanging with a group of friends and that person texts one of your friends back, but doesn't text you back, you're like, ah, so you are on your phone. Ah, I see what's going on. Well, you just don't want to text me back. Okay. And you're like a little frustrated with them after. You're like, I can't believe that. It's like, ah, they ghosted me. It doesn't feel good. I don't like that. It's a little cheesy, but are you going to ghost God? No, it's a little cheesy. God's given us his message which is his word, are we going to ignore it? You know what it feels like to have a text message ignored. Don't like it. How much more the God who created us, giving us a message, doesn't like when he's ignored? We should long for it, desire it, be all about God's word. It's not just some old book. It's applicable and relevant for us today as well. Let's pray. God, help us to be all about scripture. Help us to love the Bible. Be eager to listen to the Bible. Be eager to do the Bible. Help us to not just say that we love your word, but to show it through our lives. God, we know it's not by a matter of keeping your rules that we're saved, but that once you've brought us to faith in you, that the right response is to, hey, I want to do what God wants me to do with my life. Help us to do that.